Welcome to Therapists Are People. Wait, therapists are people? A group of therapists discuss mental health, answer questions, and interview other humans. Hey everybody, long time no see. We were just chatting about how like it's been forever since we got together and recorded stuff. So I'm pumped to do to do this with y'all today. Yeah, I'm excited. And I'm excited to just be inside today. Yeah. Avoiding the it's cold well, and windy. starting to snow. Avoiding the snow is ideal. So for context, everybody, uh, today is the first day of the new semester of University of Iowa. We also have a blizzard bearing down on us, so we're all hoping that our internets don't go out so we can see each other still uh, and talk to you all. Let's uh, maybe start with reintroductions for the new semester. Yeah, that's a great... Oh, yeah, we haven't been doing that. Sorry, we've gotten feedback from our lovely audience members that we should talk about uh, who we are before we say stuff. So my name is Patrick, uh, and I am a psychologist. So before I talk, I will try to mention, again, this is Patrick. Well, hi, I'm Kristen. I'm also a psychologist. I'm Kyle. I'm a social worker. I guess I'll go last. I'm Heidi, and I'm also a social worker. Right on. So before we got started, this is Patrick again. Uh, before we got started uh, recording today, we were talking a little bit about the, the either funny or weird or embarrassing things that we've started doing over the course of the pandemic. We've got a whole data set full of strange things that we now do in our lives, and um so I thought we would maybe start by sharing a little bit of those. So my weird thing is um, it's going to seem really stereotypical, first of all, because everyone started making bread during the pandemic. I swear I was already a bread hipster before the pandemic. So I was making sourdough already. I've had a sourdough crock in my fridge for, for a couple of years. But my weird thing is that I've just gotten pretty obsessive about it. I've gotten really into it. I'm making all kinds of different loaves. Whoa. Just taking in all kinds of gluten. Just, when you all see me again, I'll probably look very different than, than my uh, shoulder up view that you have of me now. Uh, but it's because I've gotten uh, very deep into sourdough bread making, which Ooh. that's a thing. Yum. Makes the whole house smell mm-hmm. good. So good. What have y'all gotten into or or deepened your appreciation and love of over the course of the pandemic? This is Kristen. Uh, Mine is also food-based, but I like categorically refuse to cook. It brings me no joy. Eating brings me joy, but not cooking. Um, And I have gotten really into eating whatever candy uh, is like seasonal or on par with the holidays. Mm. Even if I'm like not particularly fond of it, but I'm a couple bags into those uh, Valentine's ones that have the messages and the messages are not good this year. Oh. I, Do they change from year to year? I don't monitor that closely enough. Um, I maybe should monitor that. <laughs> <laughs> and they do change year to year. Wow. No how, can it be a, how can it be a disappointing message year? I don't know. They just don't feel particularly inspired. Oh. They, like, they used to have cute little phrases, and now it's, I don't know, maybe it's the bags that I've had, plural, though. So, like, keep in mind, I've got a good data set here. <laughs> Says you'll do. Yep. 
I like how you talk about the conversation hearts like they're like some high art form, like cinema. Like they're not particularly inspired. <laughs> Your standards of conversation hearts are much higher than mine. Not to date myself, but I remember when they started using like texting lingo on them. And oh, I was yeah. like, what is that? Now they're all texting lingo. So to be fair, oh, I Kristen, I have two bags of those conversation hearts sitting upstairs in my kitchen, but there's only the yellow flavor left because the yellows are gross, mm. but we've eaten every other flavor out of these bags and I can't bring myself to throw them away and waste them, but I for sure am not going to eat the yucky yellows. Oh my gosh. If only we weren't socially distanced right now, because I, since I don't cook, I eat literally anything you put in front of me. I start with the wintergreen ones, but yellow is also up there. Yellow is banana. Yeah, the wintergreen are my favorite, and they always go very first. My poor kid has probably never had a wintergreen one because I pick them all out and eat them myself. They're so good. Chalky. They are so good. But, you know, the best best Valentine's Day candy, and this is Heidi, by the way. I forgot to say my name, um, is the Butterfinger Little Bell ones. Those are the best best valentine's day candies they just have little chunks of butterfinger in them there may be like True. four bags of those in my kitchen you are on point honey i completely mm-hmm. agree well, i look forward to trying those that is amazing. they are fantastic did you say buddy butterfinger yeah is that butterfinger they're like little bells of milk chocolate with butterfinger bits in them so you're not getting like that full mm-hmm. gooeyness of a butterfinger but still the flavor they are so good yeah, I just prefer, I like, um, this is Kyle, I like uh, Reese's peanut butter cups shaped in whatever the mm. holiday seasonal yes. thing is. Yes. I don't care what it is. Yes. It's just my favorite. Um, I'll eat those till I'm sick. Yeah. There's also a bag of those in my freezer. The hearts and maybe Ooh. some leftover trees from Christmas. Oh, there Heck you go. Yeah. There's no such thing as leftover Reese's peanut butter cups at my house. Yeah, that didn't compute. Yeah, I don't understand what you're saying. What's she saying? <laughs> um, Heidi, what's your like? Uh, what have you been doing over pandemic that you didn't do before? Oh, I was kind of thinking about that, and I, anybody that knows me that I, it knows that I'm fairly disorganized. I tend to just have my stuff, um, and I moved the week before lockdown, and so what I've been trying to do is kind of there's all these new organization shows on like Netflix I think it's like Marie Kondo and like the home edit so I've gotten really into watching all of those and I've reorganized my pantry um my basement has been ripped apart so if you could see me now I'm sitting in my home office in my basement and there's just boxes where I've like been going through stuff and it looks like a tornado and I started ripping apart my pantry again yesterday um for about the third time and buying all those organizational boxes. So I very much so been enjoying that. Are you having any good results or so far has it only been just ripping? No, it doesn't last. I try really hard to keep it organized and I find that actually the organizational boxes, they last for about a week and then I get annoyed with having to put groceries away into a specific little box and things just get shoved in the pantry. So I need to find maybe a more effective way of doing it. The little boxes are just so cute. Such a great idea. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll have to invest in some of those. Um, 
this is Kyle again. Um, I've actually, uh, I, there's a lot that I've really liked about the pandemic. I love from working at home. And one of my favorite things is I've, I've worked in basketball shorts. I go to work in basketball shorts every single day since March, and it's just awesome. I just have to look presentable from the chest up, and nobody knows what's going on beneath the camera, and it's just awesome. That... I'm so much more comfortable than I was being on campus and walking around all over the place and getting all hot and sweaty or in the winter having to, like, bundle up and then the second you get into a build second i get into a building i feel like i'm on fire like it's just none of that <laughs> i just sit in my house in my shorts and it's that just is amazing awesome. i think Kristen. i think i told you last month i haven't worn anything but leggings in like two months <laughs> and no one knows that i'm wearing leggings as long as i look nice from the head up and so i love the basketball shorts kyle that's perfect oh yeah as my, my mother-in-law calls them leggings <laughs> I feel like we're all working towards becoming more authentic therapists in this age. You know, when I go to the office, you're seeing the most presentable version of me. Now I'm just in my messy room (laughs) wearing sweatpants under a blanket. And this is what you get. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like I'm being more more myself these days. Yeah. Maybe a little more candid, too. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I'm barefoot. Let's just, you know. It's just awesome. Be your true yeah, stuff. And working at home, if I need to like take a tiny little mental break, little breather, I have a disc golf basket, like putting set up in my basement, and I'll go down there and throw fifty putts and come back. I wouldn't be able to do that if I was in my office. It's awesome. Step away for five minutes, do yeah. something I love, come back a tiny bit refreshed. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Throw fifty putts might be my favorite mm-hmm. phrase from this conversation so far. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we know that y'all tune in for our weird quarantine quirks, so you're welcome. <laughs> uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about, um, surprise, we're talking about therapy today. Um, but we're going to talk about it uh, and flip the conversation a bit. Um, and we're going to talk about our own experiences, meaning instead of talking about our perspectives as therapists who see clients, we'll talk about our own decision-making related to seeking help or not seeking help and how that's gone. We thought that like in the truest sense of like therapists or people, we'd acknowledge our own kind of journeys and decision-making and variables that have gone into us. Um, and when we have chosen to reach out for help and that may be through therapy, that may be through other means too. Uh, but we thought we'd acknowledge that a little bit today and, I can start by sharing again. This is Pat, just in case it's not um, evident. I um, fought against seeking therapy for a long time, even with this like very uh, certain idea that I was going to be a therapist. Um, it was something that I just didn't do for quite a while. Um, and so, while I was a promoter of therapy, I was not necessarily a user of it until I was pretty deep into grad school. Um, at which point I felt like it is really time uh, for me to get some help. And so I can talk more about what that was about, um, but I just want to acknowledge that it's a hard decision even for somebody who is very much bought into the institution of therapy to make. It, it certainly was a difficult decision for me. I, I wonder how, like, what else has gone into your all decision-making when you've either chosen to go or not. Yeah, that's such a good question. This is Kristen. Um, so 
the first time that I went, I was in a master's program in an unrelated field uh, going to, well, not unrelated, somewhat related. Um, I was going into student affairs and just felt like something had to give. Um, and it was kind of that point where um, I was training to be a professional working on campus and knew that counseling was something that I would likely be referring students to, um, but really had to grapple with some of my, I think maybe not explicit, but um, family beliefs vaguely around seeking help outside the family. Um, and that felt like really tricky to do. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious, Pat, when you said that you fought against the idea of going to therapy for a long time, was there, was there something that was, that had been grading at you that you were, that you kind of knew you wanted to address, but you were, you were avoiding counseling? Yeah. Lots of stuff. <laughs> lots of stuff had gotten bottled up at that point. It's a really it's a really fair question, Kyle. I, I, for a long time, was considering uh, going to address my own, um, I think, just like uh, worries and anxieties um, about lots of different things. But, but namely, I was like right at the edge of kind of emerging as a professional, and I felt like I was not kind of ready to step into this next phase of my life and it was a place where in my relationship in my friendships in my academic stuff I felt like I needed to make this next step but something was holding me back and I needed to go to therapy to help sort that out like what the heck is getting in the way I had questions around uh, the depth of my relationships with other people and why I was feeling dissatisfied in different places I don't think I wanted to admit that, which was something that was holding me back from going to seek help. But I really wanted to figure out what was getting in the way for me. And so it was really useful to finally come to that place where there were a number of kind of pressures behind me that eventually kind of, I felt like I just relented and said, okay, there's, there's enough stuff to work on here to justify actually seeking help. I think for a long time, lots of internalized shame or stigma or masculinity garbage made me feel like there's not enough there yet where I actually need somebody else's perspective on this. And I was really wrong about that. Uh, I definitely needed somebody else to help walk with me through that stuff. Um, but it wasn't until enough of that pressure mounted that I actually felt I gave myself permission to, to walk in the door for the first time. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all that. Thank you. I can also really appreciate that at the, the point where you walked in the door, like you maybe had a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Yes. Um, too. And, you know, yeah, sometimes I think knowledge makes things easier, but sometimes I think knowledge can make things feel a little like more pressure too. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm fairly confident, at least at the beginning of therapy, that my knowledge of therapy was not helping me. I couldn't get out of my own way and sort of like wondering, 
there was enough professional curiosity in me that was wondering like how my therapist would approach stuff in the room as it was happening that I kept getting in my own way and be like, oh, that was such a good move, so to speak. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or like, why are we going in this direction? I would I would be approaching this differently. I could not get out of my own therapist's shoes for a while. And it took mm -hmm. me a while to settle in as a therapist, client, client therapist, you know, yeah. to get out of that mindset. So it was like a good learning opportunity, but I needed to kind of stop looking at it as a learning opportunity, uh, at least for those 50 minutes. Yeah, that's that's so valid. I also think like even if you weren't a therapist going to therapy, that's a, still a really neat idea of like why I wouldn't go that direction. It's like, yeah, sometimes it's really good to go to therapy to hear a different person's direction they would go yes. in. Like I've been going down the same path of thinking over and over and I haven't solved my problem yet. Like yes. maybe what I need is just someone else to propose a different path for me to consider. Absolutely. Yep, you're right on the money with that. Yeah, I think I think being a therapist has made me so much more excited about the idea of going to therapy. Um, I think before I was so um, embarrassed to admit to myself that I hadn't done the work yet. Like there are various things that I want to work on and haven't and hadn't and thought like, like I know what to do. Like I know what I should be doing. I feel ashamed that I haven't been doing those things yet. And then um Another part of it for me is like before I became a therapist is like what how would they possibly help me you know um, and that's a, something I hear all the time um, or I really commonly from family and friends uh, lots of family and friends come to me for their to talk about their problems and always have um, and when we talk about counseling they're just like what would they do like how could a therapist even help me and I just think that's such a common question. Mm -hmm. And it's so experiential that one, like once you start counseling, it really opens your eyes to like, whoa, oh, this is how this is helpful. This is really wild to hear other perspectives and, and they're not just trying to tell me what to do and, and whatnot. So I, I'm kind of curious what your all's thoughts and feelings are about, um, I guess, that. Um, I, I was the way that you phrased that, Kyle, it put me right back in um, that position of being in the chair for the first time. And I didn't have much familiarity with therapy then. And um, I just remember thinking it was wild to hear someone respond without the same um, maybe assumptions of what was normative mm. that I had. Mm. So I remember, um, you know, talking about some like uh, interaction uh, within my family and the questions that were asked were just so different from the, the frame that I had for looking at it, um, that in some ways it helped me, um, it helped me look at it with different eyes and like what what is the system here that it has its own rules and its own way of operating. And I've never viewed it that way. I've just assumed that this is how things go. Um, so even that small shift of like, oh, wow, this isn't, I mean, it sounds so obvious when I state it, like this isn't the only way to do things. Um, but at the time it just felt honestly freeing. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like, oh, I'm trying to navigate this thing and it's not going well, but this is the way that I should be doing it. And to have someone be like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, really? Like, is that how you should be doing it? Tell me why you think that. <laughs> um, it just gave me a slightly different perspective for, um, like, viewing times when I felt stuck. Hmm. Like, why do I feel stuck? Pat, what were you going to say? I have no idea. I, I was just, I got lost in what you were talking about. I'm just, I'm really, um, yeah, I'm just kind of responding to how that different perspective helped, helped me shift too in therapy in a way that I already kind of assumed it would. Like, I know a little bit about therapy and I'm also like, oh, of course, like, this is what I signed up for. And so that was pretty world changing. The second time that I went to therapy was when I was in grad school for psychology. Um, and I, that time, I remember having this response of like, you're going to make me articulate this thing. Like, I just want to kind of allude to it and feel like you understand what I mean. But you're going to make me state exactly what it is that I'm sort of alluding to. And I had that mm -hmm. moment of like, oh, you're good. <laughs> like, this is, this is the thing. This is the thing that you're going to make me do, and I don't want to do it, but it's going to be really helpful, and it was really helpful. Um, but I think the first time was, for me, you know, it, there's, like, a difference of a decade in there, too, but um, it was, like, I, I didn't know that that was part of it. I think there were, part of having a lot of assumptions about therapy was also, like assuming that this person held all the answers and they were going to mm -hmm. tell them to me and that, I don't know, I'd get like a checklist or something. And of course, as you all know, I don't really have checklists. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. I, I'm, I'm really curious what, what you all like, like about a counselor. Like what would you look for in a counselor? And, and I'll be transparent. I, I asked that because, I won't give a lot of details. It's not fully my story, but I went to counseling with someone else to support them. And the counselor that we went to, like, didn't do anything. They just sat and listened. Mm -hmm. And then they didn't offer anything at all. And I, and I was just in my head, just like screaming, like, this, this person's pouring their heart out to you. Like, don't you have, like, can you engage at all? And then I just think of like, all the other probably hundreds of people that have gone to that therapist <laughs> over the years and just thinking like, okay, that, that could be what someone needs. But I just wonder about the people that were like us that wanted some feedback and didn't, and didn't get it. So I guess I'm just curious, like what y'all have learned about your own styles. And it could be different based on any time period or presenting concern, but. I need a little bit of a reverence. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that is, um, you know, a thing that I didn't expect to learn in therapy that I did was like where my comfort zone is. And my comfort zone is definitely going to like the very cognitive process, logic, reasoning, all of that. Um, like I, both of the therapists that I've been to, um, had a little bit of a reverence to them. And I think that that helped me settle and feel comfortable in a way that, 
outpouring of empathy might have felt like, whoa, you don't know me. Where is that? Like, that's not how I'm used to interacting with people I don't know. Um, so it was that balance of something that felt uh, like comfortable and like it lightened the mood. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, we didn't stay there relationship was built and then the emotional deepening came but i think it facilitated that cool thank you i know when i was searching i, I did a lot of uh a lot of googling to try to figure out who my therapist was and if my if my former therapist is listening i apologize but i was looking not just at files, but trying to find anything i could about my therapist um and i i know if uh that that clients certainly do that. And I was one of those prospective clients who was trying to dig in because I wanted to understand, I think what I was trying to do here, I'm about to rationalize this. What I was trying to do, I think, is understand if I had shared experiences, if this person could understand my perspective. And so there were some places where I really wanted them to. I wanted them to have professional training that was similar to my own so that I knew they sort of understand the position that I was in. Um, I wanted them to have um, kind of life stages. So I sought therapy right before I became a dad. And I wanted to seek out a therapist who understood the experience of having a kid. And uh, I, only, I couldn't find information about some of this, like them having children. Uh, but I was eventually able to understand once I met with my therapist that they did have some of those experiences and that became really integral to me. So I knew that I couldn't find everything I wanted initially going into therapy, but I was able to find enough to say, I can schedule an appointment with this person. I feel fairly confident that they will understand me based on some shared experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I definitely dug in a little bit to learn about my therapist before I, before I met with them. Yeah. Which is so still, I was Go just going to take ahead. a second, no. and this is Heidi, I wanted to acknowledge that, like, Googling your therapist in a professional way is completely okay and normal, and honestly, when I'm helping students or even in past lives other clients, like, connect, I encourage, like, go look at psychology today, look at their website, review mm -hmm. that information, make sure that, you know, you're kind of seeing something that maybe is going to connect you in some way. But also acknowledging, I think Pat was kind of going here, like you can Google all you want. You're not going to get all the information you want. Um, and it's important just to recognize that you can do all the research and think it's going to be a good fit. And it may not be. And not every Absolutely. therapist is right for everybody. You know, you have four different therapists on this podcast. And my assumption is we all do therapy fairly differently. I know for Kristen and Kyle, I've facilitated groups with both of them and we all have fairly different styles, which makes us different fits for different people. And that's completely okay. And you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings by saying like, I don't think this is working. Could you help me find someone that maybe would be a better fit? I would much rather someone kind of acknowledge that. Um, or maybe I would acknowledge that and say that then have someone sit and feel stuck like they can't switch um, and that they're stuck with me.
I don't think I ever felt stuck with the therapist that I met with, but there was a point at which we got to this place in therapy where I said, I really hope that we can focus a little bit more on this. And being sort of meek then and now, I guess, I was like trying to figure out how to tell them that for a while. And they were perceptive enough to be tuning into like how I was experiencing therapy. And because we had that conversation, we, we kept going. Um, but yeah, to, to Heidi's point, it's really okay to um, be a, a discerning consumer of sure. therapy and think about what am I getting out of this? Is this a good relational fit between me and this person? Is it, are they helping me with the things that I want to help with? And then I just know as a consumer of therapy, at some point I felt like I needed to communicate that. And it, it really helped. It helped me, I think, get what I was looking for out of therapy. had spoken with a friend who gave me a recommendation. Mm. And when I think about it now, um, I, th I think the best analogy I can come up with is uh, like asking a friend for a class recommendation where you, you trust this person, right? And so you trust their judgment, but there also comes a point where you're like, it is possible that I have a different way of approaching situations and scenarios and different things speak to me. Um, and it worked out well for me, um, though also from like some conversations with my friend, I think that the things we valued in our relationship with the therapist were very different. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, so kind of that, like, I very similar to Googling, like, I needed some type of vetting ahead of time to feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, but then also, like, it's a relationship. So it's not the therapist in a vacuum, how they are is going to interact with how you are. And yeah, that was Yes, I look back on it and I'm like, that worked out shockingly well for the fact that, you know, what I was going on was really someone else saying like, yeah, this person is like, I trust her. Mm -hmm. So it's still, it, with all the vetting in the world and recommendations, it still kind of comes down to an anxious leap of faith a little bit yeah. that we don't know for sure exactly how it's going to go. And maybe we say all right, well, I'm willing to just see. I'm willing to see. Yeah, there's a good deal of randomness, I feel like, in therapists mm. matching, too. Like, it, some of it comes down to this person just had some availability at the time that I was seeking help. Um, and, you know, like, that. that's more of a, that's more commentary on the state of, like, mental health care and the availability of resources. But that's also a factor that played into my own help-seeking decisions, if I have to be honest. Um, and who was in my insurance network and everything like that. So I recognize that I also had a lot of privilege in seeking out because I had a lot of options on the table, even with the shortage, if you will, of care providers. Um, I could also be reasonably well assured that I could see somebody who looked like me uh, and had experiences like me as like, particularly in, in terms of race and uh 
acknowledging that a lot of our listeners may also not be able to have that experience. If you're seeking help here in Iowa City and you're looking for a black therapist, um, it's, that's much more difficult than it was for me when I was seeking help. Um, that that challenged my assumptions. I, I, as a graduate student, when I was seeking help, I really just wanted to be all things to all people. I wanted to be the therapist that like anybody would be comfortable with and sort of all the book smart in the world couldn't help me shake the idea that I could just, I could adapt and be good for anybody. But then when I finally sought help, I was like, oh yeah, this is why somebody might want to seek help from somebody who understands them and may have some shared experiences. And it just, it just took me down a notch from, from my own assumptions of what, what I needed to have and what other people need to have in their therapist. I, um, I sometimes think about my first experience and maybe the pedestal that I put therapy on. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. My first therapist was like ridiculously phenomenal. So she lived up to that pedestal. But um, I think about where I was at that point in my life and how new it was seeking help and um any for me there was a limit to the amount of work that could be done because of how able i was to look at things and change them so the themes that we started then like i picked up and continued working on down the road with another therapist um but i wasn't ready at that point in my life to talk about them with the first one so i think about that sometimes with you know i i do tend to operate under more of a short-term model that there are times in our life where like we seek therapy and it fits the need right then and then you know, iterative process, you take what you learn, you apply it to your life, but there might come a time down the road when you encounter something similar and find yourself working on it again, you're just in a different space at that time. So maybe you're able to access it differently or you know, um, maybe it impacts you differently at that time. And that was like helpful for me in looking back, but also sometimes helpful for me as a therapist when I feel like, oh, we, you know, like therapists, we have our own imposter syndrome at times too. And like, oh, should we have taken that in a different direction or done more or whatever? Um, and I think, you know, empowering clients that they get to decide like, what is it that I'm working on right now? And then set solid goals. I love you naming that stuff. Um, I've many times I've been the therapist that the client came to second. Like they clients said that they had been, we had talked about their previous therapy experiences and they had been to therapy years ago, you know, maybe sooner, but years ago, let's say, and then came to therapy this time and said, I just wasn't ready then. Like I thought I was, I thought I needed to do it. Or maybe somebody else was pushing them or pressuring them. A lot of times it was parents or whatever the case may be. And so they, they did therapy and they actually didn't have a good taste in their mouth about it. Like it wasn't a good experience. They didn't feel safe. It, they just weren't ready. And then they came back to therapy with a different therapist who happened to be me 
and they were ready to talk about it. And they had, they just had a different, they were at a different place in their life with it. And it's just neat to hear folks have that, um, have the understanding of themselves. And then I also know that I've been, I've been the therapist, the first therapist that they came to and they weren't ready and they weren't comfortable and lots of other factors. And there's, there's no blame in that. Like it just is what it is. And that's totally fine. And, you know, then my hope for them is always like, all right, cool. I hope that, you know, at at the very least, I want this to not be a negative experience. And um, my hope for this person is that at some point in the future, they'll be able to, to go back to counseling with someone else and be able to like really open, be more open about it. And it's helped me judge myself less as a therapist. Also Er Mm -hmm. earlier in my career, I would be very hard on myself for anybody that I didn't feel like I was helping very much. And I would um, not give myself any credit for any work that went well. And I just focused on, on what I perceived to be the negative. And just after doing this for 10 years, I recognized like, Oh, okay, well people are people. And some people are going to make that progress now. And some people it might be later in the future. And like, I, it was humbling because I realized, like, oh, Kyle, like, it doesn't all it doesn't all revolve around what you do as a therapist. In fact, it's actually sure. like a pretty small percentage, and the clients are freaking awesome, and they're the ones doing the lion's share of the work. And I just need to to be able to like facilitate that work. I super connect with that. I think I was one of those clients, just acknowledging that like I was drugged to therapy, didn't want to be there, had a fairly terrible experience at therapy and I don't think it had anything to do with the therapist to be honest I don't really even remember the therapist but I remember absolutely that I wasn't ready because I didn't want to be there and that really informed me professionally I went to grad school to get my master's in social work fully intending not to do therapy I didn't want Mm -hmm. anything to do with therapy I avoided it like a plague and Having come out of grad school and been doing therapy for nine years now, like I can look back and reflect on how that experience clear back many, many years ago has informed me as I work with my clients, especially those clients that don't want to be there to see me. Um, Previous professional, you know, working in the community, I would have people that were court ordered or kiddos that were drugged there. And I think one of the things I always kept in mind is just acknowledging like if you don't want to be here that's okay you have to be ready and if it's not the right time for you let's do what we can what feels safe and comfortable for you and that's what we're going to do and beyond that maybe your time will be later yeah i so appreciate everybody acknowledging like when therapy has not been helpful or or to Kristen's point too like when when progress in therapy just came later, like timing is such a big piece of readiness for change and even ability to change. Um, and so it's made me consider like if I went back to therapy tomorrow, cause I'm not currently seeing a therapist, but if I went back tomorrow, what kind of things that I didn't feel like I accomplished last time I was in therapy, what I accomplish now, what, what am I ready to work on? What kind of things feel more in my reach? It's very different than it was when I when I was last working with a therapist. Yeah, so timing makes a huge difference. I wonder if there's any other ways that being the client has helped um, inform how you are as a therapist. 
I don't mind that right away. I, um, so I'm, uh, in therapy, uh, we often identify what our theoretical orientation is. And that's kind of like how we conceptualize what brings a person in for counseling and how, um, how to understand, right? Like the distress that they're in. And one thing that I realized in myself, um, was how very much, um, how very protective I felt of people in my life that I would be talking about in therapy mm -hmm. and that I could be really frustrated in that, but also, um, feel defensive and protective mm -hmm. if that was, uh, not carefully named. And so I think about that, especially when I'm first meeting with clients, um, and honestly, like as a parent too, right? Like, I'm not sure what my daughter will talk with her future therapist about, but I'm guessing <laughs> my name is going to come up at some point in that. <laughs> and, um, it, like, I think sometimes it's helpful to name that it can be tricky to talk about mm. the other people in our life in therapy and we can feel protective mm -hmm. of them. And that like, I understand relationships are nuanced and complex. And so like, we're never out to mm -hmm. oversimplify someone mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. Um, and that like being able to name that, um, especially with some clients feels really important just to mm -hmm. then get to a space where it feels safe to talk about relationships that are maybe just complex and nuanced and I think about a couple of things in my experience of therapy that has shaped my my own approach to therapy one was I, I think well Kristen was just talking about this sort of approach that we all sort of name as a thing that influences our direction in therapy and there were times at which I felt like uh, my therapist was really adherent to a particular school of therapy. And there were some times in therapy, I was just like, can we get out of the, can we get that piece out of the way? And so that's really influenced. If I start getting too caught up in my head about theory and conceptualization or jargon or trying to help my client like buy into this school of therapy and they're just not having it. I have to remember back to when I was like, gosh, I just don't like it when we go to this place. It's not as helpful for me. Maybe that was a defense of mine. I don't know. But like, I, I feel like knowing that getting into the nuts and bolts of therapy with everybody is not helpful because uh, it wasn't for me when I was in therapy. The other piece, this is a little embarrassing, but when I came to stop therapy, I sort of accidentally ghosted my therapist. So again, if you're listening, I apologize. Um, <laughs> literally the day that my first child was born, um, I called and canceled our session because I was having a child <laughs> and, uh, and then life just got chaotic. I didn't reschedule after that. I had mostly accomplished what I wanted to in therapy. It really wasn't an indictment of my therapist at that time. But to get to Kyle's question, the way that that's influenced how I am as a therapist is I try really hard to be understanding of when my clients simply drift away. Mm. I, 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 used to take that really personally and there's there's a certain way that i think our field condemns that like when somebody 
uh, unilaterally terminates therapy, like to put it in the most pathologizing way possible. Uh, I, I no longer have that sort of uh, blame towards myself or even blame towards my clients. Sometimes life just happens and the therapy relationship ends. And I, I still wish it didn't in that way. I think if I bumped into my therapist, I'd be like, my bad. <laughs> I, sh- I should have done better by both of us. And it's just helped me be more empathetic to my clients who maybe discontinue mm-hmm. before they mean to. Yeah. There's a, to me, that I've noticed a big difference working in the college counseling center versus working in the community when I, at the in the college counseling center, our services are covered by student fees. And so yeah. it, it's not costing a student per session. But in the community, it did. And so it was very common for folks, like once they felt like they were good to just like basically stop, because why would they come pay to say goodbye to me? Yeah, good point. You know, and I and that makes a ton of sense. Then also with the time commitment, like it's it's incredible for someone to meet once a week to fit a, a weekly meeting into your schedule. That's just wild it's hard enough for me to like schedule a dentist appointment or an oil change or whatever, like once every <laughs> few months. And then, you know, I, I just have so much respect for the folks that I work with for figuring out how to fit this into their schedule once a week. And I could see as somebody being like done and being like, all right, cool. Well, I actually need that hour, two hours when you consider travel. Like I, I just need that back in my schedule. I'm good. I appreciate that. Frank. Yeah. That's something I've I've had conversations with clients, both in the community and through College Counseling Center. And one of the things that I appreciate clients, I've had several clients kind of point this out to me too, is and ask for is like, this is helpful, but I do need this time back. Are there, is there other things outside of therapy that could be just as helpful or that could continue me down this path? And I think as a therapist, one of the things I always try to do in the back of my mind is have some resources ready too. Um, you know, I think in our field, there's maybe some perceptions towards self-help books and those sort of things, but I have found those helpful and I, I keep several kind of close by. I have one, I'm holding it up. You guys can't see it, but it's, it's a mindfulness journal. And as you know, I, maybe I perceive or clients bring up, like, I don't necessarily have time for this every week. What are other things? Like, I feel like that's kind of my job as a therapist too, to make sure I can present other options, whether it's self-help sort of things or even like alternative styles of therapy, Um, you know, going every other week or support groups or different things and really kind of recognizing that there's not like a one, I don't know, it's not one type fits all kind of therapy. Um, Therapy is such a big, broad field that there's lots of different things that could be a fit for different people too. Yeah, that that makes me think about um, this sparks another idea, I guess, about um, goals and goal setting and what brings people into counseling. And so it's so, so, so normal and common for someone to come in with one set of goals or thinking they know what their goals are and then their goals change through either either quickly change once they start diving in or they change gradually throughout the course of counseling and that counseling can be like you can start with your best guess of where you think you want to start. And then as you start diving in, you kind of start finding your way and you, you clarify your goals even more as you go. 
that's something that that's something that I've only had to learn from experience mm-hmm. that no one no one ever yeah. taught me. Well, before we turn this into a supersized episode, <laughs> I don't know, maybe our audience likes that. You should you should let us know if you do. If you're a listener and you're like, we love when you all go off and spend. <laughs> We've never gotten to the hour mark, but we might soon. Um, if you like when we we go on more extended, let us know. If there's things like that that you like about the podcast, let us know. If there's things that you wish we would talk about, we would love to hear from you. Uh, the best way to do that is if you email us. You can email us at ucs-therapistpodcast at uiowa.edu. It's a way that you can get a hold of this team. Yeah, let us know the things that you uh, like about the podcast, formats that you wish we would use, uh, topics that you wish we'd cover, questions that you have about mental health. We really are hoping that we can hear your voices in, in making this. Yeah, so reach out to us if there are things that you want to hear us talk about. But otherwise, this was really cool, y'all. I appreciate folks, you know, talking about their own experiences in therapy and what went into decision making. It was it was good to learn some stuff about y'all that I didn't know. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure to talk with y'all about this. Yeah, ditto. That was really fun. All right, folks. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye.